Hello and welcome back to the Talking Sense podcast. In episode one, we talked you through what the project Talking Sense is all about. In case you didn't catch it, it's all about thinking about the senses in a museum setting in relation to objects that are on permanent exhibition in the Ashmolean Museum. In episode two, we walked you through what a workshop day looks like in the Talking Sense project. In the following podcast, you'll be hearing recordings of the gallery talks, which were the culmination of the Talking Sense project. And in this episode, we'll be hearing from Eleanor Townsend, a DPhil candidate in the history of art. Her talk partner was Yeoi Terramoto Kimura, a DPhil candidate in computational neuroscience. Their talk title, Stripping Back to Sharpen the Senses, A Holy Face and a Waterfall Vase, looked at the way that artists can engage our senses by deliberately focusing on an artificial and pared-down approach. Eleanor explores such artistic intention through a 17th century painting of a holy face from Spain. I'm Eleanor Townsend. I'm a DPhil student in the art history department and I'm working on religious images in parish churches in England before the Reformation. Um, today I'm talking about an image of the holy face. It's a painting whose function and agency has changed over time and with the different contexts in which it's been displayed. And I'll be doing this with a focus on the senses. Um, it's very important to remember that we experience all the works in this museum and all artworks through our senses. And the same was true for those who engaged with them in the past. Um, although the physical and cultural context may have changed, the use of our physical senses to experience a work like this is a direct link to those who did the same in the past. And one of the points I'm making today is that artists were aware of our physiological response and they designed their work deliberately according to this. So what are we looking at today? In some ways, it's quite an enigmatic image. It shows a male bearded face against a neutral background. But there are questions. Are his eyes downcast or closed? Is he alive or dead? And the key feature is the deliberate detaching of the head from the body. The face is depicted with very intense naturalism and emphasis is very strongly on suffering. You can see the blood, sweat, lines, the skin texture is quite um, dull and pale. But it's done in a very artificial way, with the head floating against a neutral background. Seeing the painting in the gallery, among other contemporary work, shows clearly that a deliberate decision has been taken to present this head in this way. So other works from the period have dramatic gesture, intense colour and quite elaborate backgrounds. And this painting provides a point of stillness. So we wonder why this approach might have been chosen. It seems to me the intention was to draw the eye through a deliberate withdrawal from contextual stimulation and to focus on the central point. Conversely, this sharpens the intensity of the viewer's relationship with the image and focuses attention on the state of the head, its suffering particularly, and also its, just its importance. The presentation encourages us to bring our own experience of sensation and pain to empathise with the subject and enter his suffering. The presentation is a means of enhancing and performing its function as an image. It's not just a decorative item to ornament an interior. This is actually a very particular type of image of Christ, the holy face. The Vera icon, or true likeness, was the bloody and sweaty imprint of Christ's face, said to have been left on a cloth held by a woman who went to Christ's aid as he carried the cross to Calvary. She became known as the Veronica in etymological reference to the phrase vera icon, meaning true likeness. So it's not just a portrait of the suffering Christ, but it's a portrait of an image of Christ. 
This type of face is therefore usually depicted on a cloth, so the painting would show an actual cloth with a face on it, either alone against a plain background or held by St Veronica. And this may have been the original form of this painting, so a face set upon a painted cloth. The legend of St Veronica appeared long after the biblical descriptions of Christ's passion. Its development is quite unclear, the various theories, but the story is fully developed in the Meditations on the Life of Christ, a very popular devotional text circulating around 1380. There was a relic known as a Veronica kept at St Peter's in Rome, and this was believed to have been the actual physical imprint of Christ's face from the cloth at Calvary, and it was intensely and visibly venerated in the 16th and 17th centuries. Rather like the Shroud of Turin, the Veronica was publicly displayed in ostensions at Rome, in its case. 1578 was the first one, but they were repeated in subsequent years. At these occasions, seeing was absolutely key. It wasn't enough to know the relic existed, you had to physically see it. Originally, the papacy banned reproductions of it, so it kept the power in the original, but this was later relaxed. And the 1578 show it was witnessed by El Greco, the um, prominent Spanish, well, Greek-Spanish artist, who produced several versions, and these were extremely popular. Reproductions of these were very popular and created a circulation, particularly in the Iberian Peninsula. The Veronica and the Shroud of Turin crossed the boundary between image and relic. So reproductions of these two relics also occupied differing positions within an axis from the original to an image. As well as in larger scale paintings, the holy face was popular in illuminated manuscripts, small scale, for private devotion, where it appeared alongside hymns like Salve Sancta Facies, or Hail Holy Face. And in this way, the sensory experience of the image could include touch, as well as the gaze. So what was the original context of this painting? And like the painting itself, it's not 100% clear. We do know that it was painted by Murillo, the Spanish artist, in around 1665, and that it was displayed over the high altar of the convent church of the Capuchin order in Seville by the mid-18th century, amongst other works by Murillo. The Capuchin order is an offshoot of the Franciscans. These were small communities, eight to twelve friars, and they were distinguished by a focus on extreme austerity, particularly rigorous fasting and discipline, and they also wore beards, which is relatively unusual, amongst the orders and was a very distinguishing feature. But though the convent was founded in 1627, the holy face is not recorded in the monastic archives before 1750, so it may have been produced for a different context. And latest research suggests that it was either originally elsewhere in the convent or it was a gift in the mid-18th century. Either way, it's likely it was made for a more in- intimate space. So we've seen that the original form probably originally included the napkin. And if you look at the painting in the Ashmolean, you can see some faint folds and wrinkles. It indicates that originally that was its form. So a question remains, when was the image cut down from this larger composition to the current, more focused form, and why? We can't be sure, but it does show that later action can enhance the original intention of the artist. So it sharpens the sensory focus even more, focusing directly into the face. The mid-18th century layout of the convent church has been reconstructed. We know that the original arrangement had centred around a huge image of the Jubilee of the Portiuncular, which was a um, painting commemorating the granting of a plenary indulgence, so complete complete remission of sin, um, for those who made pilgrimage to this particular chapel of the Portiuncular, 
where St Francis had a vision of Christ. The Jubilee painting was removed and regilded and smartened up in 1750 as part of a rearrangement. And the, another smaller painting, the Virgin of the Napkin, was brought in from the refectory. And in 1753, so three years later, the tabernacle was added, so a cupboard for the consecrated host was added to the centre of the ensemble, below the Jubilee painting, and the holy face was placed upon this cupboard, above the Virgin of the Napkin painting. So what was the original function of the holy face painting? One of the most important truisms in our history, I think, is that the function and agency or power of an image changes depending on the context of the viewing. Um, and of course, we need to remember, as I said before, that all types of viewing are done in a sensory context as we experience art through our senses. So originally, the um, holy face would have been a single image, um, probably viewed in a smaller devotional space like a private chapel or a monastic cell. And this would have facilitated an intimate connection with the single image, with the viewer kneeling in a one-to-one -one relationship and allowed a meditative engagement and allowed the viewer to make a connection with the actual physical, so-called real object in Rome, which itself had touched the physical body of Christ. So meditation of this type could and was undertaken in a deliberately sensorial manner as a means to a bodily identification with the humanity of the suffering Christ. There was a strong focus on what he might have felt, heard and smelt, etc. So you'd try, for example, to feel the prick of the thorns on your own face and the despair of a condemned man. But from the mid-18th century, we know that the painting was part of this more elaborate ensemble over the altar, which is quite ironic, considering the emphasis of the Capuchin order on asceticism and simplicity. Um, the idea was all about enriching the convent church. But in both contexts, the devotional focus was intense, and the cult of the holy face encouraged its empathetic identification with Christ's suffering. And these direct representations of the Veronica in Rome acted as a signifier for a particularly potent original. As part of an ensemble, the painting formed, performed a particularly Eucharistic function, placed on the tabernacle or cupboard in which the host was kept. The Counter-Reformation, so the Catholic Church's response to the Reformation, bolstered the doctrine of the real presence of Christ physically appearing in the bread and wine of the Eucharist. The Council of Trent, the Church's council that promoted the Counter-Reformation, supported the construction of these tabernacles to present the host to worshippers, as seeing the consecrated host, so therefore the body of Christ, was a means of consuming it. So there's a duality of an image of a true physical relic of Christ's body, the Veronica's veil, placed over the actual body of Christ in the form of the host. There's an interesting theory, visual theory, of intromission in the late medieval and early modern period, that seeing involves these species, which are kind of these layers of matter, that radiated off viewed objects to be intercepted by the eye. So a corporal relic could actually broadcast the physical body of Christ directly to the viewer, like the consecrated host. The Veronica, like the Shroud of Turin, preserved both presence and likeness, while the host, the consecrated host, was a wafer, only preserved the divine presence. It didn't look like Christ, it just was Christ. So the placing of the holy face image provided a visual confirmation of this invisible miracle identifying the context of the tabernacle, as well as referring to the real blood of Christ as preserved on the Veronica in Rome. And I can see that the holy face composition must have provided a still point in a busy whole ensemble. 
at the main altar of the Capuchin convent church, it would have been seen in a deliberately fully sensorial context, obviously visual, but also in an auditory way. So the um, friars would have heard music, singing, the chiming of the bells. Um, they would have tasted the communion at certain times of the year. There would have been a tactile um, engagement that an order was discalced, so they had bare feet on the tiled floor and they would have been kneeling on the floor. Um, they would have smelt the incense um, and also the performative engagements in moving through the motions of the Mass. This, all this together provided a glimpse of and a connection to the divine. Um, the intense reality and suffering of the central image surrounded by the neutral space of the picture could also be seen to parallel the overall elaborate retable ensemble within the overall space of the convent church, which is actually relatively simple and plainly painted. The context of reading the image changed over time. So in 1810, the Peninsula War was raging in the, around Seville, and the convent was suppressed by the French occupying government. 17 of Murillo's paintings mysteriously were removed, leaving only the huge jubilee to be seized officially for the new Seville Museum. But three years later, the French were driven out, the pictures were returned, but the Archangel Michael painting and the Holy Face had disappeared. In 1832, the Holy Face reappeared in an Englishman's collection in Seville, and it was then sold on to England, hence its current location in Oxford. The image would have worked differently in each of these contexts, divorced from its devotional context. So it would have worked as part of a collection, as an artistic work by a recognised name, part of the overall story of Spanish and European art history, studied for its technique. And as part of this, today it's seen in a gallery with all the baggage that entails. It gives us a chance to see it alongside objects from a similar period and geographical context. The other paintings are similar in style, but most are different in composition. They're much more vigorous movement, bright colours, etc. But the gallery experience is frequently still a quiet, contemplative one, and that does seem to suit this painting. In another iteration, the painting recently returned to Seville for the exhibition Murillo and the Capuchins of Seville, and it was similarly displayed in a gallery context alongside contemporary work. But its viewing was different, I think, because here the other work comprised the paintings that had been displayed alongside it in the Capuchin Church. So bringing them together allowed the visitor to experience the same chromatic relationships as in the church, but crucially it was not in the original space, and the lower height of the gallery meant the arrangement had to be different. So there's an interesting curatorial question about the value of reuniting components of a group of paintings, but without being able to undertake a full reconstruction of their original context. Though even if we were able to reassemble them in the Capuchin Church, how would we as 21st century observers with a completely different cultural baggage be able to approximate the experience of an 18th century monk? And one way might be by focusing simply on our senses. So what is this object? Is it a focus for devotion, an image of a relic, a signifier of the host, a decorative or contemplative object by a famous master without religious significance, is it all of these? None of these? But whatever the answer, this painting urges the viewer, us, to take their own physical experience of the world and to enter the other world of its subject suffering. For further reading about this podcast and all of the podcasts in this series, please see the attached bibliographies in the show notes.
Music for the show was by David Hillowitz, Moment of Truth piano version, provided by freemusicarchive.org. This podcast was presented, edited and produced by me, Christy Calloway-Gale. And me, Johnny Lawrence. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.